You know, it's been a long time since my wife really just like looked in my eyes and stared. I'm thinking about taking up the guitar. I think that might do it. After 35 years, just unite her passion to look in my eyes again like we did when we were dating. Does that have that effect on Kim, Darren? I knew it. I knew it. Hebrews chapter uh, 13. And on Sunday nights, we're working our way through a uh, series on rightful authority, how to use it, how to follow it. Uh, I get it. This is not a subject that people are very excited about. Uh, I get that. But I want to tell you, this is one of the most important subjects and thoughts you'll ever have if you want to live a life that's blessed by God. Uh, Remember, people live eternally when they place their faith in Jesus Christ. People live a blessed life when they choose to live like God taught people to live. By the way, that is the reason why some people have Jesus in their life and their life is nothing but pain and trouble and misery because they just refuse to repent and live like God said to live. By the way, that is why some other people who without Jesus Christ in their life as Savior actually live a pretty productive and decent and reasonable life because without God in their life, they just choose in some ways to live like He taught us to live. And I think I echo the heart's desire of people here tonight. I not only want to live forever and go to heaven someday, I want to live a blessed life here and now. And so I'm very interested in how the Scriptures teach we ought to live and how we handle rightful authority, how we use it, how we follow it is one of the things uh, that is a part of a life that God blesses. We spent time laying the foundation for all rightful authority. God is the Creator. He is our Creator. He makes the rules. But no one has audibly heard God or visibly seen God in our day. So what God did is God gave us something that we can see and hear. He gave us the Bible. And then in the Bible, God delegated some of His authority to certain individuals under some circumstances. He delegated authority to husbands over their own wives, to uh, parents over their own children, to pastors over the flock that they lead. And when we follow rightful authority that's being used rightfully, we're actually following God. Though nobody that has his authority is actually God in any sense of the word. Uh, We spent time talking about the heart of a faithful follower. And it is a wonderful thing to be a joy uh, instead of a grief to those who lead us. And then last week, we spent our time talking about the most important foundation for good and godly leadership. Serving those we lead. See, leading in the best interest of those who follow us is contrary to the way most people use their positions. Most people use their positions as stepping stones or to personally profit at the hands of those who look to them. That is the opposite of godly leadership. We talked about how a servant leader genuinely cares about those they lead, not just themselves. We talked about how a servant leader makes decisions in the best interest of others instead of themselves. We talked about how a servant leader stands for what is right when those they lead do not agree and cannot see what is right. By the way, that's true whether they're children or adults. Servant leadership has very little to do with what those who follow want. It has everything to do with being and doing what they really need. 
And so tonight, we're actually going to continue in some qualities of good and and godly leadership using God's authority in a way that pleases God. We're going to begin tonight with uh, another aspect of a verse that we've discussed before in this series and another great Bible principle. I hope you understand that there are some places in the Bible where God gives very clear and specific commands. But most places in the Bible, especially the New Testament, God gives us principles. And he expects us to apply those principles to our life, to our culture, to our day and age, and to where we are in life. But By the way, God says, love God. God says, be faithful. God says, come out from among them and be you separate. God says, be not, be conform- be not conformed to the world. He, he gives us principles and he expects that as we grow to love him and understand him more, that we actually apply those more deeply in more and more areas of our life. In fact, you couldn't make the do and don't list for somebody who loves God understood that if he gave these principles, anyone with a real heart to follow him and who really loved him would continue as they grew in life to more deeply apply these things. And so tonight, we're going to establish another principle for godly leadership. Go ahead and stand, if you would, please, in honor of God's word. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Thank you. You might be seated. See, in this verse that is teaching us about the relationship between pastors and those they lead is a principle for leaders of all sorts. Now, when we were talking about the heart of a godly follower, we talked about how this verse in one place established the principle of how a follower should follow as to make leading them a joy rather than a grief. But you see, there's another equally important principle here for leaders, and it's this. Leaders, watch for your souls as they that must give an account. You see, to watch for the soul of someone is an incredible privilege. It is more than just seeing a body with our eyes. To watch is to guard, to guide, to help, to protect a precious soul of those who in some way look to us. And the soul of a person is more than their career, it is more than their wallet, it is more than their health. The soul of each individual is their mind, their emotions, their memories, their personhood, the person within within each body. And every leader with authority from God has an impact for good or bad on the souls of those they lead. Now if the responsibility and privilege of husbands and parents and pastors who watch for the souls of them who follow them were not enough, we're also told that God is in a special way holding those people to whom he gave authority accountable. They will answer to him. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. You see, it is the responsibility of pastors and ministry leaders to watch for the souls of those who look to us in the church. It is the responsibility of husbands to be watching for the soul of that woman who walked down an aisle and took your last name and committed herself for life to you. It is a responsibility of parents to be watching for the internal souls of the children that the giver of life entrusted to their care. 
Now, I'd hate to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and every believer will stand at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account to God. I'd hate to give an account for failing to appoint the children He entrusted their souls, first and foremost, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about how silly it will sound someday to give an account to the Holy Creator and to say, well... I didn't really value the church, and I didn't really value them finding your will, and I didn't really value them prioritizing Christ in their life. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't want to be like that. This idea, this principle of leaders watching for the souls of those who look to them uh, brings up a good question, and that's what we're going to spend our time watching. How can I watch for the souls of those I lead? Remember, no leader can control how someone follows their leadership. But every leader can control how they lead. Notice the first thing in chapter 13 there in verse 7. He says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Here's the first thing. Uh, If you're going to watch for their souls, you must speak God's word to them, and you must have the kind of faith in God that's worth following. Did you see that there? Now, we speak God's word audibly on occasion to people, but we model God's word constantly with our example, our behavior, our attitude. And by the way, none of us can teach God's word or speak God's word until we know something of God's word to speak. That's why in the New Testament we are exhorted over and over and over again to read God's Word and one time told to study it to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And not only do we need to know God's Word to be able to speak it, we must have some kind of real faith that's worth following. Have you ever considered this, that real faith is an action word? I know I'm not the only person here who, over the course of my 34 years as a believer in Jesus, have found some people who said they believed in Jesus and their behavior did not line up with that at all. And I thought to myself, do you know what, if that's what it means to have faith, if that's the attitude, if that's the way you use your mouth, if that's the way you treat people, if that's the way you prioritize your life, no thank you. If you and I are going to be the kind of leader that... Uh, we watch for their souls, we must have the kind of faith that is worth following. We won't take the time to go there, but in the great chapter of the heroes of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, it begins by defining faith as an action word. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is substance, it is evidence, and then it goes on to give examples of faith, and by faith Abel offered, and by faith Noah built an ark, and by faith Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees. Faith is an action word, it is not something that sits silently inside of our heart, unexpressed. Faith is something we do from our heart. Every husband, every parent... Every ministry leader, every pastor either beautifies or makes faith appealing or unappealing by our life. By the way, I would hate to have my children or the people who look up to me in ministry watch me needing to be drug, kicking and screaming to everything that was good and godly in my life. 
Listen, as you've heard me say so many times in this series, particular series, there is a kind of joy and peace that a faithful follower of Jesus should be living with. Now, I get that in this world we all have our ups and downs and we all have times when our faith is not manifested as clearly as it should be, but the general testimony of a faithful follower of Jesus ought to be that I have a good attitude, I have a a, a loving disposition, I have a faithful record, and my faith is worth following. It's not an act someone puts on in public. This is a way to live that comes from a heart with real faith in God. Let me ask you tonight, are you speaking God's Word and modeling it in a victorious life? Do you have a faith that's worth imitating by those who look to you? Because speaking God's word and having faith in God that's worth following is part of watching for the souls of those we lead. Here's a second thing here in Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 24. It says, salute all them that have the rule over you. All the saints of Italy salute you. Here's number two. Be approachable enough to be embraced. (laughs) by those who look to you for leadership. As I've mentioned before, as we've taught through this, the word salute, as it's used in the New Testament, means to enfold in the arms, like salutations. It's a warm greeting. See, it would be pointless for Paul, I think the human author of Hebrews, to tell believers to do this if their leaders were not approachable. I mean, why would he tell you to salute them, to embrace them, to enfold them in the arms if that was not available? If they were aloof, if they were standoffish, if they were cold, if they had some kind of era superiority, this would not have been possible. Listen, it is easy when we're in a position of leadership and have some authority to lord over the people instead of being warm and approachable. Listen, there's a reason in Ephesians chapter 6 that uh, Paul said, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Raise them up in the nurture and admonition. Say, why did he have to do that? Because there's an easy tendency of a father with authority to become unapproachable. There's a reason in 1 Peter chapter 3 when uh, Paul or Peter is instructing husbands, he said to uh, give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Because it's very easy for husbands to feel like, since they have authority from God, that they're there to lord over their wife. And by the way, weaker vessel doesn't mean weaker spiritually. I don't believe it even means weaker physically necessarily, though that generally is the case. I I think it's referring to the fact that women are generally more fragile and they can be more easily hurt. And because God knew our nature, He gave us that warning. There's a reason that in 1 Peter chapter 5, when He was instructing elders, He said not to uh, to lord over the flock. Because there's a tendency when you have pastoral authority to lord over the people of God, just like there's a tendency for fathers and a tendency for husbands. And and he warns us against this. We are supposed to be approachable. We're supposed to be salutable. And we're supposed to be embraceable in a good and healthy way. I believe husbands fail when their leadership in marriage is not warm and loving. I believe parents fail when their leadership is not warm and loving. I believe ministry leaders and pastors fail when their leadership is not warm and loving and approachable. Now if you are older or you're much of a student of history, you know that in 
the times past in American culture, it was acceptable for husbands to be cold, dads to be distant, and pastors to be aloof. And it was almost considered to lessen your authority if you didn't stay distant and above everyone else. I'm just here to say that's not the way the scriptures teach that we're supposed to use rightful authority. Every leader should be embraceable. I'm not talking in the sensual sense other than a husband and wife. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying you need to be approachable. There's a reason that the wisdom that from above is easy to be entreated, according to James 3.17. Now, I get that our natural dispositions make this quality of leadership easier for some than, than for others, but listen, we can all have it. By the grace of God, every husband, every parent, every ministry leader, every pastor can be approachable and easy to be entreated. Someone to enfold in the arms in a good way. By the way, I believe Philippians when it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So I just, uh, that's not my disposition. Well, you know what? You didn't know me as a teenager and in my early 20s. I'll tell you, without doubt, that is not my natural disposition either. I just believe that a Christian is supposed to live a supernatural life. We're supposed to be transformed by the power of God and the power of the name of Jesus. Are you approachable to those who look to you for leadership or are you aloof? Are people overly afraid to speak to you? Because being warm and approachable is part of watching for the souls of those we lead. Thirdly, go back in your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're talking about providing good leadership, godly leadership. We're talking about watching for the souls of those who look to us as they that must give an account. How can I watch for the souls of those I lead? Here's number three. Be responsible, because responsibility and authority go hand in hand. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3. By, by the way, we don't have time to study this, but if we studied this account, what we would find in, is that in Genesis chapter 1, God gave Adam dominion over the earth. And what we would find is that God placed Adam and Eve in a garden with a task, that task was to dress and keep that garden. And then what we would find, if we were to study this story, is that God commanded Adam, and he said, listen, you can eat of every tree that's in the garden, but don't eat from that one tree. By the way, anybody that tells you that every plant must be good uh, hasn't understood that one of the very first plants was bad. I mean, there's people, they go around, one of the reasons they use for, yeah, that smoking marijuana should be okay because God made plants and plants are good. Listen, some plants are bad, starting with this one. It's a dumb logic for people to do what they want to do. Listen, the Bible says be sober-minded, not high-minded. So, well, what if it's legal? Well, alcohol is illegal, and that doesn't keep you sober-minded either. And uh, you, you know the story that there in, in, in the garden, uh, uh, Adam uh, and Eve, they ate the fruit they were not supposed to. Eve ate it first. She gave it to Adam. Adam chose his wife over God. And, and then 
Notice who God's going to hold responsible. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord called unto Adam. He said unto him, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? By the way, God's not asking for information. God always knows. When Jesus asks a question, when God asks a question, he's always trying to get people to recognize something or admit something. So God's trying to get Adam to admit something here. He said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree and I did eat. In other words, he first blames God for giving her the woman, and then he blames her. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. She said, Well, it ain't my fault either. The serpent tricked me. And God then, and we won't take the time uh, to study it, but God is going to go first with the serpent, then with the woman, and then ultimately to Adam, and he's going to bring judgment on him. You say, Why? Because God held him responsible. And he started with Adam. God gave Adam authority in the earth. He gave Adam authority in his home. He gave Adam authority in the, in, in the garden. And when something happened, he came first to Adam. There have always been way more people who want to tell everyone else what to do than those who want to be responsible. <laughs> By the way, that's one of the reasons it really bothers me when people who don't want to be responsible for much of anything complain and poke at the things other people are responsible enough to do. By the way, one of the things we talked about when we talked about how to be a, follow, a follower that's a, a joy to lead rather than a grief was to be free to make suggestions but always be willing to let them be ignored or modified. That's one of the reasons because... Almost always, the person making the suggestion is not the person ultimately who will be held responsible for what's going on. Uh, you may not like this, but I really wish that people who had complaints about themes and colors and food at different events, I just wish you'd be quiet. And if you don't think murmuring is a big deal, why don't you just take some time and, and read about the Israelites after they left Egypt and see what God thought of all their murmuring. And if you don't like what's going on, here's what I suggest you do. Number one, be quiet. And number two, when it comes time to get together a team of people who are responsible for what's going on, get on that team and be responsible. Put in your input. By the way, I'll just say amen for myself right there since nobody else wants to. Listen, it, it is way easier to have ideas about how others should do the things they're doing than to be responsible for them. You see, no one is using their authority rightly unless they're taking responsibility for what they do as a leader. Being responsible does not mean you control everything and everyone who looks to you, unless it's young children. Listen, husbands, uh, yes, God made you the authority in your home, but you know what? Your wife ought to have freedom. I, I don't agree that it's good use of husband's authority to have your wife under your thumb. 
Same thing with parents. I, I, I believe you ought to, yes, you ought to have your thumb on your kids when they're little, but you know, the older they get, you ought to be taking your thumb off of them. Let them become functional, independent adults. That's a process, not something, oh, you're 18 today, here's a cake, now you're responsible. And you wonder why some young people do so many dumb things, they never learn how to make decisions. Ministry leaders ought to give ministry workers some freedom to follow Christ and grow. I do not believe that just because we have authority from God in those positions that you have to be bossy or controlling. Here's what I believe. I believe a good, godly leader establishes boundaries. And then allows those that look to them to work within those boundaries so that that person can fulfill their potential and so that that person can walk away from what's done and feel good about what they did. And if you've ever been in any private meetings with me or you've ever been a leader of anything here, you know I've talked to you about that. By the way, also too, uh, by doing that, when you give people boundaries, it also exposes who's misplaced, who's lazy, and who's incompetent. And then you're not going to come back and blame me. You're, you're, it's your fault. I believe godly leaders give boundaries instead of detailed instructions in nearly all cases. And here's the key to knowing what boundaries to draw. It's your personal walk with God. I believe above all things the most important quality of a good leader is who they really are. Because what we do flows from who we are. Every follower deserves a leader who's sincerely trying to walk with God, know God, obey God, follow God. <laughs> Every son and daughter deserves a parent who has prayed, sought God, uses a wisdom that seasoning brings instead of selfishly leading them. Every child in the church here deserves a children's worker who prays, who walks with God, who studies their lesson, who's prepared to teach and help them instead of just filling a spot or using that position as a stepping stone to something they consider to be greater and higher. And every church member deserves a preacher who's prayed, sought God, spent time with God. Instead of somebody who's just putting in time, getting a salary or putting on a show. By the way, I have no idea when I'll retire. I'm 58. I have no plans to retire. I, I plan to continue doing what I'm doing tonight because God has gifted me and called me to do this until I have no vision or no health to do this. I have no idea whether that will be tomorrow or 10 years from now or 15 years. I have no idea. But I know this much. You deserve somebody who stands behind this pulpit who tries to walk with God, not finish their retirement. That's why I don't have an age when I plan to retire. Well, I'm going to go to 65. I'm going to go to 67. I have no idea. I hope tonight your desire as a leader is to become someone who walks with God. Someone who represents God well in the circumstance in which he has placed you and for which he will hold you accountable. You see, because when God gives someone authority, 
He expects them to take responsibility for what goes on. By the way, responsibility doesn't go away when times get difficult. When times get difficult, it exposes how committed we really are to being responsible. Are you taking the responsibility you should as a husband, as a parent, as a spiritual leader of some sort? See, those leaders who are watching for the souls of those who look to them take responsibility and walk with God. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll close out. By the way, I've always believed in leaders establishing boundaries, not details. I was thinking this afternoon, and when we, had, when we started the church 12 years ago, I mean, I didn't tell Shauna how to run the nursery. I gave her some boundaries, and she ran the nursery. I didn't tell Joe all the details of what to do with teen ministry. Gave him some boundaries, and he ran the teen ministry. Same thing was later when we started the children's church with Brother Ron and uh, all kinds of things with Paul and the sound and on and on and on and on it goes. You say, why, do you, why, do, why did you do that? Because I want them to reach their potential. And, and they're not going to reach my, their potential if I, I'm, if I have my thumb on everything they're doing. You say, Brother Wally, that'll mean sometimes they will do things not exactly the way you want them. I know that. And it's my job to have enough courage that when things get too far out of the way I want them, I'm supposed to step up and say something. Talking about watching for the souls of those we lead. I mean, everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody, oh, I want... Listen, God's holding you accountable. And that's a big deal. Which gets us to our last thing, number six, or number four, I'm sorry. I know it feels like six. Here's number four. Stop blaming others for what you do or fail to do. You doing your part doesn't depend on them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. I know most men, their favorite verse is verse 22. Women hate it. Godly women don't. I'm not kidding. Verse 25, husbands love your wives if they submit to you. That isn't what it says, is it? It says, husband loves your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus' love for his people change when they don't do what he asks? Absolutely not. See, Jesus' love comes from the love that is in his heart as God. And it is unaffected by whether, by whether people are faithful or unfaithful, whether they're obedient or disobedient. His love for us as people is absolutely unchangeable, perfect, 100% because of who he is. Now I get that whether he loves what we do is different from his love for us. But he says to husbands, love your wives. There's no contingency. None. By the way, her submission is not contingent on his love either. And a wife makes herself easier to love if she's trying to submit, and a husband makes his leadership easier to follow when he's loving his wife like he should, but it's not contingent on what your wife does. 
Listen, if you are going to be the kind of leader who watches for the souls of the people who look to you, you're going to need to quit blaming other people and circumstances for the kind of leadership you provide. Leaders are responsible for the kind of leadership we provide, just like followers are responsible for the way they choose to follow. Do you know what I see? Way too many husbands blaming their wives for the way they lead. Way too many parents blaming their children for the way they handle themselves as a parent. Well, if you had them, you'd... No, not necessarily. Listen, did, did God choose your kids or didn't he? God chose you. He didn't give anybody the parent or the child that isn't intended to somehow work out. You see, to have the kind of life that God blesses, we fulfill the roles he assigned because of our faith in him, not how people respond. Husbands are responsible to love their wives, whether they're easy to love or not. Parents are responsible to train their children, whether their children are cooperative or rebellious. Spiritual leaders are responsible to watch for the souls of those they lead, whether it's a joy or a grief to lead them. Now, I get that what I'm preaching right now, point number four, it is not Christianity 101. I get that. But to do what we do because of Christ and and what is in us through Christ, that is mature Christianity. And, And I know the average person uses the failures of someone else to excuse their own bad attitudes and bad behavior. And I'm just here saying, you know what, that is a poor way to follow and that is a poor way to lead. And by the way, I believe this is a part of God's check and balance system. Because when God gave authority, he knew that no one who had it would be perfect and no one who followed it would follow it perfectly. And so because God wanted it handled right, he didn't make anybody's role contingent upon the failures of someone else. It's contingent upon our love and faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, I personally believe that God purposely allows these differences and these times because I believe it exposes what is really in our heart to us. Listen, we, we, we all think, yeah, I'm a great follower, and, but you agree with what's going on. And how you follow isn't even exposed. And so God reveals to children, and He reveals to uh, wives, and He reveals to uh, church members, and He reveals to pastors, and He reveals to parents, and He reveals to husbands what is really in our heart by these times when things aren't what they're supposed to be. And it'll be a great day in the life of any Christian who finally just simply decides what I do and what I say and how I am does not depend at all upon what the people around me are doing. It depends on my walk with God. It depends on Christ in me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, Philippians chapter 4 says. It is not okay for me to act like a child because other people are acting childish. Childish though I feel like it. It is not okay for me to be unkind or angry because other people are unkind or respond in anger. 
This is what it means to be deeply devoted to Jesus and a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to watch for the souls of those who look to us. I get that none of us do this perfectly. I I get that. But I'm just here to simply say tonight, if you and I want to be the kind of people to grow to be deep followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to change making excuses for what we do and fail to do. we're going to properly watch for the souls of those who look to us, we must stop blaming them for what we do or fail to do. You say, Brother Wally, what should I do if my wife don't follow good leadership? Provide good leadership. Love her. You say, Brother Wally, what should I do? Uh, my, my teenagers don't listen at all. They, they, they don't do anything that I ask them to do. Provide good leadership. Listen, teenager, you'll answer to God. You will give an account of yourself. Just like every parent will. Say, brother, what should you do, brother? Well, I'm a ministry leader and the people in my ministry just won't do at all what they're supposed to do. Provide good leadership. Listen, the Lord has a way of taking care of everything. Amen? Amen? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can learn to speak God's word and have the kind of faith worth following. I can be warm and approachable instead of aloof and condescending. I can step back and take responsibility and be responsible. I can stop blaming others and circumstances for me failing to be what I should do for Christ's sake. Listen, you know what you should do when you fail? You get on your knees and you say, God, forgive me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't want to do it again, God. Really, help me, God. And you know what God does? He forgives you. And you move on, and you do better the next time. That's what it means to have grace. It's not an excuse to just do what we want and fail in everything and not care. There's a way that good, godly leaders... Watch for the souls of those who look to them. And next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about a couple more things. So if you would quietly stand tonight.